Hey, good morning, New Hope. Thanks for joining us again online. I want to remind you that while you're joining us online, there is a group meeting out in the parking lot. And for that reason, it's not going to be cool out. Uh, the high is 91. It's going to be sunny. It's going to be hot. And so today we're going to be moving kind of quick. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Isaiah chapter 53, and we'll keep going in our series, Jesus on Every Page. While you're turning there, let me fill you in on a few things that you can expect if you decide to join us in person here in the building beginning July the 12th. The first thing is this. We've had conversations with health officials, people that work in the health industry. Uh, we have medical workers here in our church that we have consulted with. And uh, based on Governor Holcomb's announcement um, this past week, we want to go ahead and ask that if you decide to join us in person, if you would consider, because we are highly recommending that you would wear a mask, if you and your family would wear a mask. And if you don't have one, don't worry. We can provide them here when you get here as well. When you come in the lobby, you're going to notice a couple things are different. Furniture will be moved around a little bit. There'll be more space to move around. We're not going to be serving coffee, though we will have water bottles available. You make your way into the auditorium, you're going to notice communion's prepackaged, and we invite you to go ahead and grab that every week. We will not stop celebrating communion together as a church, and so you grab that and make your way to your seat. And if you need help, we'll help you open that as well. And then during the offering time, we're not going to be passing offering trays, but offering boxes will be hanging in the auditorium and out here in the lobby. When it comes to kids check-in, which is right here behind me, uh, we're going to have volunteers ready to help so you don't have to touch anything. And when the kids go back, uh, they're going to have, uh, their teachers will wear masks and, and it's going to be a safe environment. We're taking a lot of protocols for cleaning and sanitizing as are many other churches in our area. You'll see hand sanitizer stations all around the building and we welcome you to use those as well. And just so you're aware, when it comes to Kids Central, when it comes to children's ministry, we want to make you aware that that's only going to take place for the foreseeable future at the 9.30 and the 11 o'clock service. And so as you're making plans, be prepared for the 9.30 and 11 o'clock. All those plans, we understand that some people just aren't ready to join us in person, and we, we get it. We really do. Uh, in fact, we decided to make an investment, and we purchased a system that is being installed. And beginning July the 12th, you'll be able to join us live uh, in, in, into our services. For the last few months, we come in during the week and we scramble and we record the services and there's been a lot of editing. And if you see Ben, uh, you go ahead and message him because he has put in so much time to making all this happen. But the services have been pre-recorded and then they premiere live. But beginning next week, you'll be able to join us live in the auditorium for services at the 11 o'clock service. So check out the website and you'll be able to find a link uh, to jump into the service with us. So. Uh, we thank you for your patience. We can't wait to meet again in person. We look forward to it, whether you join us online or you join us in person. But let's pray today, and we'll jump into our text in Isaiah 53. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence and your love for us. We ask that you would teach us this morning as we open your word. God, you are good. You are truly good. And we are so grateful for how good you've been to us. Speak to us from your word this morning. Father, we ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me tell you where we're going in just one simple phrase. The strength and the durability of your peace is dependent upon the source of your peace. The strength and the durability, the, long, the, the ability for your peace to last, is completely dependent upon the source of your peace. One of the phrases that my wife and I have repeated to our children uh, throughout their young lives uh, has come from Scripture. In fact, it comes from Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, uh, where it says, Do not be scared. Do not be scared. Be strong and courageous, and remember that the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In fact, our two youngest, Luke and Noah, have a sign hanging above their bed with that instruction. Be strong and courageous, not in your own abilities, but because you know that the Lord your God is with you wherever 
you go. We want them to have that deep into their minds and their hearts. Now, I don't know about you, though. We can say it. We can quote that scripture. We can memorize that scripture. We can put it on signs. But man, there are some seasons where it is easier said than done to live out that text, to be strong and courageous, and to not be scared. If you noticed how quickly fear can sweep in and take over, and all of a sudden we're operating and making decisions and communicating with people out of a place of fear and not peace. And we're not the best version of ourselves when that happens. A couple weeks ago, I stopped at the post office. And uh, I, I went into the post office, and I wasn't thinking. I didn't grab a mask. I just went in, and I was sending a package to one of our college students who's doing an internship. And I went in, and there was nobody in there. And so that was, that was good. And I walked in, and I small-talked with the staff and paid for my postage. And when I turned around to leave, there was a, a line of people, uh, this long line of people, and every single one of them had a mask on. As I was walking uh, toward the exit, I went to open the door, and there was this one person in particular with their mask on who saw me coming, and and as I opened the door to leave, they jumped back and they threw their hands up. And they threw their hands up in the air as though I was something to be completely and totally terrified of because I had forgot my mask and, and to put a mask on. Now, my first thought was, man, you are, what are you so scared of? I'm not the actual virus. I, like, why are you jumping out of my way and you want to get out? Man, and, and it kind of made me mad if I'm honest with you. My second thought was, I'm just going to go hug this person, right? And then I thought, man, I, you don't get arrested, right? Local preacher arrested for hugging a stranger. That wouldn't go well. But you see, fear, it just sweeps in and it takes over. And all of a sudden, we're, we're like making people feel isolated. And we're, we're, we're reacting to things based completely and totally on fear. And you might have felt that. You may have felt that in yourself or seen it in other people. And you think to yourself, man, in the midst of everything going on in our culture, and man, what a year it has been. And when will we experience and where will we find peace? I remember my freshman year of college, I was meeting new friends and I really wanted to impress these friends and really get to know them. I was away from home for the first time in my life and I thought, man, I really want to impress these friends. And so uh, this group of friends decided they were going to go up into the mountains in East Tennessee, in the Smoky Mountains where we were in school, and they wanted to go cliff jumping. And I thought, okay, yeah, that sounds good. As a matter of fact, when we got there, I had this piece about it because if you've ever been cliff jumping, you know that when you're looking up at the spot that you're going to jump off of and into the water, it doesn't look that bad. Not a big deal at all. This doesn't look that high. All my friends had told me about it. It just wasn't that big of a deal until we made our way up the cliff and out onto the edge. And it doesn't matter how short the distance between where you're jumping and the water is. It looks like you're jumping off the Empire State Building. And I just sat there and all of a sudden I froze. I mean, I was frozen. I couldn't move. I sat for 45 minutes. Man, my friends were jumping, and a couple of them were, like, doing flips and landing in the water, and there's a lot of laughter and excitement. And then there's Rob just sitting there frozen on the edge, unable to jump, having absolutely no peace about this idea. No matter how much fun they were having, I could not find in myself enough peace to jump. I kept thinking, man, is the water deep enough? Like, what's going on? And they, and they, they would come and say, hey, man, the water is absolutely deep enough. Watch me. I'll show you. This is, it's okay. You, you don't have anything to worry about. If you'll just jump that first time, then you'll have confidence. And, man, that confidence is going to give you even more peace. And then you're going to be able to have fun. And I couldn't do it. See, fear sweeps in. And it becomes very evident when fear sweeps in that the strength and the durability of your peace is dependent upon the source of your peace. I trusted my own thoughts. Couldn't trust their testimony. Couldn't trust the experience because I wasn't willing to jump. I was frozen in fear. Isn't it surprising how quickly fear sweeps in and takes over? You ever experienced that? 
Maybe you've thought, man, I can, man, I see all these other Christians and I see them having all this peace no matter what's going on around them. And I've, I've watched these other believers go through such difficulty and tragedy and yet they seem to have this peace. And yet no matter what happens around me, I can't seem to have peace. And I'm looking for it in all these different things and I can't seem to have it. Now I will tell you, side note, uh, I sat there frozen until the guy that ended up being the best man in my wedding snuck up behind me, kicked me off the edge. Literally kicked me in the square of my back. I fell off the edge. Don't recommend that to anybody. But once I hit the water and realized this is incredible, then I really did have a piece about jumping and was able to jump after that. But maybe you have felt this, this idea that you're looking around, you're seeing other people having peace and you're, you're watching all the life around you and all the chaos that's going on around us in our culture and in our world and maybe even for you in your personal life. And you're thinking, I want the peace that they seem to have and I can't seem to get it. And the Bible's clear that the strength and the durability of your peace is dependent upon the source of your peace. And we're told all around us to find peace in all kinds of different things. I mean, we search for peace in our political systems. We search for peace in who's going to sit in the White House. We search for peace in social justice. We search for peace in our physical health or our financial stability. We search for peace in all these other areas. And look, none of those areas are bad, but they're not able to sustain you. And we know that because you think about finding peace in any one of those areas. And then you think about when that area is threatened, when anything has come to threaten that area or challenge it, what sweeps in? It's usually fear sweeps in because if you challenge this thing or this thing goes away or you take this thing or that person's voted in the office or I lose that money or I don't have that stability anymore, I don't feel healthy anymore, I get that diagnosis, all of a sudden fear sweeps in because the source of our peace has been threatened. You see, the Bible tells us that real, sustainable, durable peace is available and it's free. And you don't have to keep looking for it. And you don't have to keep working for it. It is available to you. And it costs something, but not something from you. That's the message of Isaiah chapter 53. And we're going to jump in. As you have turned to Isaiah 53, let me give you a couple notes of context. Isaiah 53 is a poem that appears between 52 and 54, very obviously. But it is this poem that begins really in 52 and goes through 53 that Man, it doesn't quite, it's really hard to wrap your mind around when you first encounter it. It's difficult text to really understand. And so you, you read it and you're like, man, what's going on? Well, in Isaiah 52, uh, Isaiah has foretold of the coming of the strong arm of the Lord, meaning there's, there's going to come a day when the Lord with his strength is going to come and provide a way of salvation for all people. And man, is this something God's people have been longing for, looking for, and anticipating. A day when peace would come where they wouldn't have to work for it anymore. You see, in their current system, according to the Levitical law, they were able to have peace. And it came through what's called the sacrificial system. And so every year they would have an animal, an animal without blemish, and this animal would have blood put on it, and it would be sent out to die, and that would represent... Uh, the sins of the people being placed on this unblemished animal, this animal with no defects at all, then the, the, the blood would be placed on it. And Leviticus tells us that the punishment for sin really is death and has to be paid in blood. And so every year the people would come and blood placed on this animal, the animal was sent out. The, the idea of scapegoat comes from this. And, and this scapegoat was sent out representing the sins of the people. So now what the animal was carrying, the people no, had, no longer had to carry. The animal would take away the sins, and they wouldn't have to carry the sins. And these sins had consequences, right? You had earthly consequences, but really it separated you eternally from God. And so now they had peace that, man, our sins have been paid for through this animal, through this sacrificial system, at least for now. 
until they continued to sin. And then the next year they had to come back and they had to do the exact same thing. And the next year they had to come back and they did the exact same thing. And the next year they came back and they did the exact same thing. And man, they wanted that peace, but that peace wasn't going to last until, until Isaiah 53 shows up. In Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible tells us how God would provide this peace that would go longer than a yearly sacrifice, this peace that would be a sacrifice once and for all. So we're going to jump in Isaiah chapter 53. We're only going to hone in on two, ver three verses in this poem, verses four through six. So uh, Isaiah 53, beginning in verse four, let's take a look. It says this, surely he, this, this coming Messiah, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows like the scapegoat. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. What this means is, the common thought in that day was, if you had suffering, if you had difficulty, if you did not have a good life, it meant that you were being punished by God. So if you had a good life or a blessed life or things were going well, that means you were being blessed by God and God had favor on you, that God was cursing you or God was blessing you. Think about the book of Job, if you know your Bible. In the book of Job, uh, his friends are thinking, man, all these things are going bad. You, some, you did something to God because he's getting back at you. Well, that's not the biblical view of things, but that was the understanding in the day. And so for this servant to show up to carry the sins of the people, but to have to go through suffering and pain in order to do it, man, the idea of that didn't com compute with them. It didn't sit well with them. Verse 5, but this is what happened because he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Upon him was the suffering that bought, brought, bought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. Meaning we don't have to go through it because he went through it. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. See, in this day, that was a completely radical idea. The idea that the strong arm of the Lord's salvation would come. And it would come in a way that would be suffering. That he would come and he would suffer to pay for our sins, to provide us peace. That was radical. But here's the thing. I think it sometimes gets radical for us to believe that even in our world today. This is why I think we get distracted when it comes to really accepting and understanding peace. We're still fighting to earn peace. You see, God's people wanted God's peace, but they did not want to find it where God told them to find it. I think the same thing's true for us today. God has told us where ultimate peace can be found. This idea that eternally we are secure, but we would rather look for it our own way. So we search in political systems and in social justice movements, and we search for it in financial and health security. Again, none of those things are bad, but as soon as one of them's threatened, our peace is threatened. And the Bible here is telling us, no, there was one who came where you don't have to go through the motions anymore. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to go through the sacrificial system every single year, because as the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 10, this sacrifice of Jesus was once and for all. But again, they had a hard time understanding this because everywhere they looked for peace, it came from the place they least expected it. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Maybe this will connect with you. I don't know if you've had withdrawal from sports the way that I have, but man, I've had true sports withdrawal. And so I watched the Michael Jordan documentary about the greatest player to ever play basketball. That's not debatable. Don't even write me. Uh, Michael Jordan. And in this documentary, one of the things that stuck out to me that was the most uh, impressive was the amount of time they gave in one of the episodes to Steve Kerr. Now, Steve Kerr is a wonderful player. He has championships as a player and as a coach. He's had a great career. But, but in the 1997 uh, NBA championship, the place where the championship would come was from him, and it was the least expected place. 
28 seconds left in the game, uh, the Chicago Bulls get the ball. And the entire world, I remember sitting in an apartment, I was uh, 14 years old, I'm sitting with my friends and we're watching this game, and uh, I remember thinking, like everyone else on planet Earth was thinking as they watched this game, we all know who's getting the ball, we all know where this is coming from, it's going to MJ, it's going to be a, a done deal, Bulls are going to win. Michael Jordan has the ball, five seconds left, he passes it off to Steve Kerr, the point guard, the unknown guard, who pulls up and hits the jump shot and the Bulls win the championship. See, the championship came from the place that no one on earth thought it was going to come from, and yet that's where it came from. Now, it's a weak analogy, but it's very similar to this. God is saying salvation, ultimate peace, eternal peace. It's not going to erase all the consequences here on earth for our sins. We still deal with it, but eternally we will have a peace, a peace that we can live with no matter what is going on around us. It's coming, but it's not coming from a strong military takeover. It's not coming from a king riding in on a, a, a horse who's going to take over the world. It came from a suffering servant who became the scapegoat for you. Throughout history, though, this has been hard for people to grab onto. And so we search for peace in all these other areas, but here's the deal. The strength and the durability of your peace is completely dependent upon the source of your peace. And the Bible says there's only one source. There's only one source where that peace is unmovable where that peace can't be threatened, where that peace cannot be threatened by the sweeping motion of fear that changes things. It's found in Jesus. Let me close out this way. This text in particular, it's easy for us to point to Jesus. Why? Because, well, obvious reasons. The text is really all about him in the Old Testament. We're doing Jesus on every page, so how does this text tell me to see Jesus? Well, yes, it all points to Jesus, but there's an also an interesting uh, story in your New Testament in the book of Acts. Since the beginning of January, we've been walking through the book of Acts, and there's this fascinating story in Acts chapter 8, where there's this uh, royal official from Ethiopia riding on a chariot. As he's riding on a chariot, he's reading a scroll. At the same time, the Holy Spirit tells Philip to come up and run, run alongside the chariot and see what this guy's reading. As Philip gets closer to the chariot, he realizes that this guy's reading from the scroll, and he's reading Isaiah 53, but he can't wrap his mind around it. He doesn't understand how uh, the source, the ultimate source of peace would come from suffering and from service. See, it should come from military might. It should come from a royal uh, line. It should come from prestige and power. And so Philip asks, hey, do you want me to explain what it is you're reading? He says, yes. And so I'm sure this man had questions. And I'm sure, like many of us, this man had spent much of his life trying to find what it would take to get to the place to have peace, confidence in our peace. And as Philip began to tell him that this peace was available, but he didn't have to earn it, this peace was available, but he couldn't work for it, this peace was available and he didn't deserve it, that this peace was available only because of grace and the grace of Jesus who came to become the scapegoat for him, and that if he wanted that kind of peace, all he had to do was respond to that invitation. And in Acts chapter 8, the man says, look, there's water right there on the side of the road. What keeps me from making a decision for Jesus? What keeps me from being baptized into Christ to have this peace. And they stop the chariot and Philip gets out and they go out into the water and he baptizes him into Christ, having that eternal peace forever. The Bible says that same peace is available to you. And I don't know where you're at and I don't know where you're coming from. And if you're at home and you're watching this, you're later on during the week watching this, here's the thing. That peace, it's available to you. That peace is available to you. What you've been looking for your whole life and working for in all these other areas, God says, no, I took care of it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to work for it. Jesus did what you couldn't do for yourself. And all you have to do is respond. 
So wherever you're at today, if you're ready to make that decision to be baptized into Christ, we would like nothing more than to help you walk through that. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you. Thank you so much for your love and your grace. Thank you for Jesus who took on our sins, who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our sins. We thank you that the punishment that brings us peace was upon him. We thank you, Father, that he overcame death for us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before you go, uh, we're going to go ahead and lead into a time of communion. And so if you're not a believer in Christ, I want to wel welcome you to spend some time just reflecting on this. I mean, where are you? Have you been looking for peace and do you need to find it? Again, we would love to help you with that. In addition to that, if you find yourself in Christ and you have maybe wandered a little bit or you've wondered, man, I need to realign myself. I need to remind myself where my true source of peace comes from. I need to remind myself that my strength and durability of peace is dependent upon my source of peace. And I want to welcome you to use this time of communion in your home with your family or even by yourself, just understanding that all around the world people are taking communion to reflect on the fact that Jesus was. He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your sins. The punishment that was required to bring you peace, eternal peace in your life, was upon him. And it's because of his wounds that we, that we are healed. Reflect on that this morning as we take communion. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time. We ask that you would bless it. We ask that you would allow our hearts to calm down a little bit, allow the, the difficulty of the world around us to just calm down enough for us to remember that our source of peace is eternal, that no sway of the culture, that no sweeping in of fear in our own hearts can take that from us. Father, you, you've provided for us, and we thank you. May this time of communion realign our hearts with that truth, and we ask for this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.